When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello and welcome to the Sandy Proy Show on Express Audio. The Sandy Proy Show. Not too long ago, there was huge outrage when some 16 puppies were found dumped in plastic bags near a hospital in Kolkata. Heads smashed, livers punctured. Six puppies were killed and buried in Gurugram in March 2018. An FIR was filed against unknown persons. In 2016, a medical student in Tamil Nadu threw a puppy off the roof of a five-story building while his friend recorded the act. A woman in Bengaluru flung eight tiny puppies against a boulder and killed them to teach their mother a lesson for the audacity to have a litter near her drain. She walked free after paying a fine of rupees 1,000. But what happens after the outrage to that injured puppy or a blind bird or an abandoned husky? In 1994, Anjali Gopalan established Delhi's first HIV clinic. She set up the NAS Foundation India Trust, an HIV AIDS service organization. NAS went on to fight Section 377 in court. In 2012, Time magazine called her one of the world's 100 most influential people for her work on HIV AIDS and LGBT rights. But today, we meet her in a different capacity as the woman who dreamed up a sanctuary for all creatures great and small. Located in rural Haryana, about an hour outside Delhi, All Creatures Great and Small is a sanctuary for sick and disabled animals, and it has grown and grown. We spoke to her at her home in Delhi, where she lives with some 15 dogs, one one-armed monkey, and other creatures great and small. You might catch bits of them in the course of this conversation. Anjali Gopalan, welcome to the show. Thank you. So if you walked into all creatures, great and small today, Anjali, what would you find? Oh, my God, don't even start me off. So (laughs) you're going to find 460 dogs. You're going to find 82 large animals, 15 emus. Oh, my God, you're going to find horses, donkeys, pigs, Anything you can think of. We, the only thing we don't have an elephant and camel, by the way. And we have a lot of birds. And by the way, many of them are blind. So I have a, I have a huge propensity to attract blind animals. Strange. How do you end up with so many blind birds? You know, um, you know what we're seeing? A lot of blind uh, peacocks. And I think because of the level of pesticides in the fields... They're losing their eyesight. Can you imagine these birds are going blind because of the level of pesticides? Scary. 
you named the sanctuary after James Harriet's um, All Creatures Great and Small, a very favorite series of mine as well. So which is the greatest <laughs> creature you've gotten and which is the smallest? You know, the greatest was the camel. Though I must tell you, the buffalo is a, a close second. Huge he's become. Uh, and the gentlest soul on this planet. And he's very cute. He's called Bhim. The moment I uh, I um, tell him, Bhim, kiss, 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 he'll come swaying towards me and put his head out. He's just too adorable. And the smallest has got to be the fish. We have fish too. People have donated fish to us. <laughs> Unbelievable. And I have a blind macaw. So what was wrong with the camel and the buffalo? You know, uh, the camel was being brought into Delhi for slaughter. And I think they had make, made him walk. He was a baby. Made him walk such long distances. He was rescued by someone, brought to me, lived for a month. And then the camel doctor who's from Jaipur said that when they walk these kind of long distances without proper care, they do tend to get all kinds of infections, which I knew nothing about. And uh, Bhim was brought to me when he was a little baby with a broken leg. And now, of course, we forget which leg was broken. We get a number of animals who are brought to us by people saying, oh, they're so old, they're going to die, or they're so hurt, they're not going to live. And obviously the care, and I, I think it's just the nutrition and the care and the love. We have 15-year-old dogs, 16-year-old dogs, still happily going along when everyone told us, oh, they'd last only for a few months at the most. And then once they get okay, there's nowhere to release them because they've been with us for so long. One thing people keep telling me, what happens when there are too many animals? But my point is, when I come to that, I'll cross the bridge. Yeah, you know, I was seeing a quote, I think, by Mahatma Gandhi. At least I think it's by Mahatma Gandhi because you can't trust anything on the internet. Which said, the, no, 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 it is by him. Yeah. <laughs> the greatness of a nation and its moral progress yes. can be judged by the way its animals are treated. So, in that term, how are we doing as a great nation? Listen, have you seen those poor cows on the street? Every cow you see on the streets of our country is a plastic cow. It, they are full of plastic. We've performed four ruminotomies on animals that were brought into us and writhing in pain. One, we took out 65 kilos of plastic. And I cannot tell you how my heart bleeds for these animals because they're going to die slow, torturous deaths. You see, cows, unlike dogs, don't open plastic bags. They swallow the whole thing. So when we performed these surgeries, we got blades, syringes, needles, all kinds of things from their stomachs. So I, you know, for me, today when I look at plastic, I'm ready to, I just feel like slitting my wrists. Are you seeing more cattle, in fact, since all these cow trafficking laws and, and things have started? Definitely. We're seeing a lot more cows on the street. The sanctuary is in a very rural area. So I do talk a lot to farmers. Because I also do organic farming at the same place. One of the farmers was actually telling me, he says, it's so difficult because we used to sell cows and we used to get 8,000 rupees per cow. And that source of income has gone and we can't look after a cow once it doesn't give milk. Of course, as an animal lover, 
I don't want to think of any animal being slaughtered, clearly. But that's who I am and what I feel. But I can also see the flip side to this, you know. And it's a hard one. And at the risk of sounding heartless, look, I'm a vegetarian, all of that, right? Uh, by choice. But I will not force anyone to give up eating meat, for example, if that's what they want. But I definitely want people to start thinking about, can we do this humanely? Can we ensure that animals are transported humanely? Can we ensure they're fed and watered during the process? Can we ensure that they're not killed in front of each other? Have you seen how we transport chickens? Upside down, hens that lay eggs for us, they are kept in little cages, battery cages, which are the size of an A4 sheet. They spend their entire life not being able to stretch their wings. Cows, we give them all kinds of antibiotics. The milk we are drinking is laden with chemicals. I also think instinctively we know how painful it is because we never take our children to slaughterhouses. Right. You started out though with dogs. I read that you started out with 55 dogs in the shelter. How did 55 dogs land up on your plate? You know, I never thought of opening a shelter because having opened a care home for children, I very well knew how difficult it is to, to really ensure quality care. So never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd open a shelter. So I started volunteering with a vet who had a place. I was horrified because I found that workers at the shelter were not feeding the dogs enough, saying that, oh, they pooped too much, so they didn't want to feed them. I didn't see love in that place. So I said, okay. Then I thought about this when I set up the care home for children living with HIV. At that time, no one wanted those children. They're wonderful human beings. Obviously, you know, children just need to be nurtured. With the care home also, for me, it was very important that quality care was provided. So I said, if I can do that for human beings, why can't I do the same thing for animals? Because my whole understanding of human rights now has evolved. It's, it cannot, I feel very strongly that it cannot be specious. It, it cannot be us versus them. Uh, because what Gandhiji was, said was true. The way we treat our animals, I think that's how we treat our women and children. No doubt in my mind about it. Anyone who we can crush, we'll do it. And I think animals are suffering. It's the same way of thinking. For example, when I look at the fact that in Haryana and Punjab, we see a lot of illegal dog fighting rings. And they use weaker dogs as baits. And then... I look at all these other practices, look at Jallikattu. Everyone can go blue in the face telling me that the bulls are taken care of. But I see the fear in, in those bulls. When animals are transported, you know how they put chili in the eyes of cows, cut their tail so that they keep moving around. So the way we do things makes me really feel like, what is it going to take to make us humane? What do you think it will take? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't have an answer to that question. And I, and I think about it a lot. 
And I think maybe if we start with our young, I think of um, my growing up. Why do I love animals the way I do? Because we were brought up around animals. They were a part of our lives, always. And I think, uh, my dad told me something very interesting many years ago. We were just, you know, shooting the breeze one day and he says, you know, I just think that children who are brought up with animals are so much more humane. And that's something that always stuck in my mind. Just as we need to start teaching our children how to learn to respect diversity, how to understand inclusion. All that, all that is learned. Respect is a learned behavior. I don't think it comes naturally to anybody. Of course it doesn't. We have to be taught to respect. You know, the more I hear you talk, Anjani, I'm thinking that the way you're looking at this, and this is different from many other animal rights or animal care organizations I know of, is that you, you, you're looking at this as a question of rights for the animals as opposed to charity. Absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head. Because for me, I've always believed that when we do something for someone, we need to put that individual in the center of that intervention. It could be children, it could be women, it could be men, it could be animals. I don't care. If you are reaching out, if you are providing care, it better be the best possible. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. It's their right. We are not doing them some big favor. And by the way, many of us who do the kind of work we do, I think do it because we get so much more back. So what do you get back from an emu? Uh, oh, you have to come and see it for yourself. I have emus who will come and stand next to me. I will scratch their heads. They'll put their head against my chest. You can feel the, the love. I don't want to sound like some 60s hippie, but you know, there is a very strong sense when I look at any of those animals, I mean, they're just unbelievable. And I just think, my God, nature in all its glory. But Anjali, I think a lot of people want to see that beauty, but in a National Geographic kind of way, you know, they, <laughs> they might want to go to a sanctuary and they want to take their DSLR cameras and take pictures <laughs> of tigers and cubs in the pool. Right, you right. are looking after the damaged animals, the ones who are not considered beautiful. Yeah. I think there's a difference. And that's why I want to make this space a space where people can come and learn to love differently. And let me tell you, for example, we had an autistic child who came to us and he was on a wheelchair. And I have this absolutely diva of a horse called Shabbo. She's this gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous white horse. And when she runs, it's like, if there is a God, this is what has been created by that God, right? And she's a diva. She's got an attitude. But when this child came, he was in a wheelchair, he couldn't move any part of his body. So we just put a carrot in his hand. And this horse, who is this wild creature, just came and I have never seen how this level of gentleness, the way she took that carrot out of his hand, that boy's mother just cried. I think it's one of the relationships between us and, and animals 
that it is not transactional. I think because as human beings, all our relationships are transactional. For God's sakes, even our relationship with God is transactional. <laughs> yes. I Please mean, let me pass this exam and I will worship you. <laughs> exactly. If you do this for me, I will do this for you. Even with God, we do that. Those of us who are believers, you know, and even me who's not a believer, let me tell you, at one point there was a scare. Shabu is the love of my life, right? They suspected that she had a disease for which she would need to be put down. And for the first time in my life, this must have been, me, who's, who's an atheist, <laughs> actually suddenly said, oh, Sai Baba loves dogs. So I actually said, okay, if you make sure nothing happens to Shabu, I will do something on a Thursday. And I said that and I immediately said, what am I doing? And then, of course, when everything went well with her, thank God, now I said, okay, now I've said this to Baba. So now every time I pass a Sai Baba temple, I say, thank you. I really think there is a huge dissonance between how we look at religion and those things which are associated with it and reality. And I'll start with the way we treat women. We are great believers in Devi's. We respect Devi's. We are scared. Of, I mean, we are scared of Devi's. We adore Devi's. Um, but when it comes to a woman, what happens to us? Every god has a vahan as an animal. But yet, that same bull that we pray to as Nandi, that same bull when it is born to a cow, is starved to death. Because we don't want male calves. Your sanctuary, you said, is in a very rural part of Haryana. And people in many parts of India know you as an LGBT rights activist, HIV AIDS activist, your work with Niles Foundation India, which fought Section 377 in court. Do the villagers around you know about your other life? Oh, yes, because it's not something I hide in any way. And by the way, what's really interesting is when we were doing our building, the you know, there was some official from the something land, something office came questioning what we did and he asked us to come and meet the, that land officer. So I went and then he said, Are? He called that guy and said, Don't you know they're from NAS Foundation? Abhi you know ne section 377 lada. That guy in this little cubby hole in Faridabad somewhere knew that. So I think if we want to bring about change, if we want to bring about change in the way people from the LGBTQI community are looked at, uh, if we want to bring about change in the way we treat human beings or animals, we need to talk openly about issues. You, you said you get a lot more from the animals in the sanctuary than you give them. Can you give us an example? Like, for example, when, say, the 377 verdict uh, went against you in 2013, was the sanctuary all already there? Did you find solace in, in the um, animals? We had just started, yes. Um, and yes, I did. Um, and, and the one thing I must tell you is that no matter how bad a day I'm having, like that day in 2013, no matter how sad you feel, I lost a very dear friend recently. And I was just not being able to, to wrap my head around that death. Whether you like it or not, when you land up at the sanctuary within half an hour, 
you forget, you forget the outside world. Oh, I must tell you this hilarious story of this pig. We have five pigs. One of them, who is called Onki, loves to be scratched. So I was scratching him and I stopped. So he turned around and nipped me to say, continue scratching woman. And the nip of a pig, let me tell you, I had never thought, they, it is so painful. But I said, chalo, koi baat nahi, ho jayega. And then a week later, it became red and angry. And I then finally went to the doctor and he put me on antibiotics. Whether you like it or not, these kind of things keep happening, right? So it's like you just forget the world. There's a certain, um, I don't know what it is. Is it maybe because it is not a transactional relationship, uh, they're able to take away hurt and pain. Our encounter with urban animals, like people living in cities encounter with animals, is when they come in the news and it's usually like, for example, street dogs. You know, you hear that there are 30 million street dogs in India and almost every neighborhood, including my own, there's a fight between those who feed the dogs and give them names and those who think that just encourages more dogs to come in the street. So what do you think we need? Is it funds? Is it laws? Why is sterilization so hard? You know, the Supreme Court ordered it done with the Animal Welfare Board, but it doesn't seem to happen. You know, it is, it is a problem. By the way, I'm a member of the Animal Welfare Board of India. Look, there are two sides to any story. A lot of that hate, I think, springs from fear. And it is a fact. We, ha we do have 20,000 rabies deaths in our country. And once you get rabies, there is no treatment. You die a terrible death. We are in the high court with uh, petitioning them to allow for euthanasia if a person is diagnosed with rabies. So the reason we've asked for this is that what happens today is if a person is diagnosed with rabies, he or she is locked away. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then it takes about 10 to 12 days for you to die. You cannot uh, drink water. You can't, you develop light sensitivity. You can't eat. And uh, at the end of the day, you die in your feces and urine. The other side of the story is that we have not been able to have a successful ABC program, Animal Birth Control Program. And if we have a good ABC program, which also has to be linked to how we are doing garbage control, 
where there are sources of food, uh, you will have a lot of stray animals coming there. Everything is so interlinked. So you have to have a very strong animal birth control program, which is done properly. But I keep getting complaints because this has also become a huge, everything in our country becomes a huge money-making racket, right? People who run ABC centers, who do shoddy jobs and get away with it. So there's such few places where properly uh, surgeries are done. Because I've come across so many animals, post-surgery, stitches have opened, uh, midline surgeries are still being done on female dogs when they can do flank surgeries, which are so much better, so much more humane. Uh, so there's a problem in the way we do things. Uh, but we need a strong ABC program, a strong uh, anti-rabies program, and we need that to go hand-in-hand hand with education where people are taught how to care for and, and, and respect animals. It can't just be a one-way street. On the other hand, when we were getting the dogs in our streets sterilized, the person said, oh, can you confine the dogs in your garden or garage before we come? Because they can smell our van. And as soon as we come into the neighborhood, all the dogs disappear. Yes, that's true. So that's why it is important that people feed these dogs, have a relationship with them, because that's the best way to catch them. There has to be so much of synergy between all these forces that are pulling each other apart to make a program like this work. But you know, when we talk about uh, issues like the latest is the smart cities business, right? But for crying out loud, imagine having a city without any animals. We're so used to animals. It's not like you see as many animals as you did growing up, right? Some of it good. For example, you see lesser elephants on the road because therein lies another tragedy. The one thing I want to see absolutely go away is those horses that are tortured because wonderful bridegrooms go riding on it to get married. For crying out loud. I mean, what kind of masculinity are you trying to prove by that? I don't get it. That same argument is used by people for Jallikat. That it's a tradition. Or those temple elephants. Oh my God. Poor things. Free-moving animals kept in chains and absolutely lacerated. Horrible. You know those elephants which go up Amer Fort? They actually burn their the leg pads so that they have some belief that if they do that, they'll be able to walk. What nonsense is this? So what kind of laws actually do exist that deal with animal abuse? I, I'd heard that, in, in I think back in 2018 that they said the penalties would have to be changed because they'd never been revised since the 1960s. You, you know, you paid rupees 50 or rupees 100 as a fine. Yes, 50 rupees as a fine. Nothing has changed. Also, oh, that went nowhere. I, I know Poonam Mahajan and Shashi Tharoor and Jay Panda were involved in something. Nothing's happened. And cruelty? I, forget it, yeah. We've just had a case in Delhi. This guy threw down two pups from the 11th floor. He is from the UAE, I believe, today. 50 rupees fine. And, and they'll tell you, why are you wasting your time with animals? Do you think then people who care about animals and animal abuse, it surely is a broader coalition in ways than, say, people who care about LGBT 
rights. And yet LGBT rights activists, you know, over the years did manage to work with media and all of that. So it, it became a much larger issue than about, as that Supreme Court judge said, a minuscule minority. Yes. And by the way, the synergy between animal rights movement and the LGBTQI movement has been shown time and again in the West. Somehow, it hasn't happened here. And I think part of the, the reason it hasn't happened here is that we have not made a conscious effort to come together. For example, I always spoke about the rights for the LGBTQI community and the need to hook up with other movements like, like the women's movement or uh, movements working with land rights. Uh, because you have people from the community across the board, right? And I think animals are very much a part of that, or should be a part of that discourse. Very important. Because in many ways, the way we treat those who we look down upon is very similar. I feel if anyone can sense fear, then there is an issue which needs to be looked at. So whether that fear is sensed by animals or sensed by individuals, equally important. Are you also seeing, in terms of the animals that show up at your sanctuary, a reflection of, uh, for lack of a better word, aspirational India? I mean, in a country where you, you generally once had just Alsatian spits and the Indie dog, I see St. Bernard's in Kolkata, and I wonder if that should count as animal abuse. Yes, I think so. Because you have St. Bernard's, you have huskies, you have animals which cannot take this heat, and people buy them because, for sure, I see it in, in, in Delhi and Gurgaon all the time. And let me tell you, it suddenly popped into my head, the whole issue of abuse, it's horrifying what we do to animals. One of the first things we do is check for sexual abuse when animals come in. I have a great den at home that was sexually abused and left tied to a tree by three men. It took me a year and a half and seven surgeries for him to get better. And he is the sweetest dog and I so often think and say, how could he have forgiven us for doing what we did to him? How on God's earth did he do that? How did Bulbul, my blind pony whose eyes were gouged out, ever learn to trust human beings again? So her eyes were gouged out because there was one group of men, uh, two groups of men raising horses. One got into a fight with the other. And to get at the source of income of the other group, they gouged her eyes out. But when you have an animal that has come to you that has been exposed to so much trauma, sexual abuse and all of that, how do you deal with that psychological trauma, whether it's sexual abuse or a donkey that's been abused all its life? Um, how do you communicate with that animal? I think every individual is different. So, for example, it's really interesting. With Bulbul, the, the blind horse, when she came, all our animals are out in the open, right? We had to keep her in the stable uh, for nearly six months. She would not, the moment anyone went near her, she would thrash around the space. 
So we used to very carefully put her food in, clean this table and rush out. And I had one person doing this only. And I was at my wit's end, trying to figure out how does one start getting her to trust us. And then it struck me, and this is how one learns, I suppose, is that what created all this trauma was human beings. So she needs to know that there are also kind human beings, that human beings who will also love her. And I think we do this with children also, right? Children who have been abandoned, children who have been orphaned. Then what I did was any friend of mine who came or any volunteer who came to the sanctuary, if they could sing, I would make them stand outside her stable and just sing. Or they would read. Or they would just talk to her. And then slowly from the back of the stable, she started coming to the front. And now she's all over the place. And if I'm on one end of the sanctuary and I call out to her, Bulbul, kahe? she'll come trotting. So I think she finally understood that there was also kindness in this world. You have to find the mechanism. And animals forgive. They forgive very fast. They're not like us. You say all the animals are out in the open. So has it resulted in a lot of unusual friendships? Yes. We have this one pig who always lies with his head on this cow. Uh, and I have a great picture actually of him sleeping on the cow's back, like with his head on the cow. Okay. Then we have a Neil guy who thinks he's a cow. He fights. He has these head-to-head butting competitions with bulls. I mean, it's incredible. Then we, oh, by the way, we have one of our blind calves, who's a cow, and a blind buffalo, inseparable. So, Kamli is the blind buffalo. So, when she sits in Bhimtal, we have this, we've dug out a thing and filled it with water, and it was made for Bhim. So, we call it Bhimtal. So, when Kamli sits in that Bhimtal, the blind cow, her friend Bubbly, will stand in the water for hours. You could, you could almost do, uh, if you had a blind animal and a lame animal, you could do an animal version of, what was that famous Hindi film, Dosti? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, I think I'll, I will do one, as a matter of fact, inspired by what you're telling me. <laughs> you know, people, when we talk about having pets, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is also the ethics of responsibly having pets. I recently, you know, there was a case abroad where a woman died and she made provisions for her perfectly healthy dog to be killed with her. It sort of seems like, you know, we also do get pets, but then we don't think about them. Or we think about them as our property. So we don't respect them as a life form. The right of that individual to live its life in the best way possible. So is the best way possible putting a dog to sleep when you die? Or can you not make arrangements? I mean, it's like the Queen of England. She's very fond of corgis, right? So now she made a conscious decision not to keep any more. And she said, because I know I'm old, or something to this effect, now that I'm getting old, I know no one will love them the way I love them. So I'd rather not have them. Because if I die, you know, So what a wonderful way to think. On the other hand, someone like me, if I die, I don't expect my pets to be put down with me. But definitely um, in the process of making my will, I would make sure that they're taken care of. As a kid, I remember I really 
wanted a dog, but I also didn't want a dog because I was afraid of the attachment. And how do you deal with that with this many animals, especially when you're dealing with sick animals? Death and dying. Um, for this, I must thank my father, uh, who was a great animal lover, and his father, who was a veterinary surgeon and a teacher at the uh, Madras Veterinary Hospital. One day I was absolutely heartbroken when one of our dogs died. So then my father sat me down and he said, look, you really love them. Can you imagine your life without them? I said, no. Sobbing away, I said, no, 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 no. So then he said, look, in the larger scheme of things, their lives are going to be shorter than yours. That's something you have to accept. And look at the amount of love you have given them and they have given you. Don't you think that's enough? And I think for me, that actually made really good sense to that 10-year-old who was told this. And I think I've always looked at life and death ever since in that manner. I didn't freak out when my brother, who was the love of my life, died. I didn't freak out when my mom, who I couldn't imagine my life without her, died. The same with my father. And I think, or, or my friend who I lost recently. So I just think one needs to learn how to look at death and accept death. Um, and, and I think the problem is that many of us, and this must be how human beings are so self-centered sometimes, no? we always think that uh, this can't be the end. There's something more whether it's reincarnation or whatever, whatever, right? This can't be the end. So if you start looking at death as just a process that happens, that's the way it is. Well, I won't ask you to choose from among your many animals and ask <laughs> you for the favorite, but is there one that you feel especially protective about? Um, you know something? I, I feel extremely protective of all of these nutcases. Answered like a life. good mother, a good mother, but... <laughs> I, I must say Shabbu and Bhim and... See, there I go off again. But Shabbu was one individual that I actually ended up asking God a favor for. Mm. Me, who is an atheist. <laughs> so it must be Shabbu, the horse. <laughs> she, is, she is incredible. Oh my God, what? I think I I think this is a, this is a wonderful sound note to end this interview on. That was Anjali Gopalan and some of her 15 dogs. HIV/AIDS and rights activist Anjali is the founder of All Creatures Great and Small, a non-profit sanctuary in Haryana. You can get more information at allcreaturesgreatandsmall.in. And in case you were worried, our intrepid producer Shashank Bhargava survived the dog avalanche intact. Meanwhile, over in Kolkata, I've been having my own encounter with creatures great and small. Well, in this case, one creature, and it started out small. One night as my mother watched her daily soap opera, there was a knock on the door. 
In the soap operas, everyone freezes when the doorbell rings. They look at each other and wonder who it could be for five minutes. In real life, too, we froze. Who could it be knocking at the door at dinner time, well past the witching hour for courier delivery boys? We opened it and discovered a black and white puppy squeaking at us. We don't have a dog, but this dog, born on the street, had adopted us. It banged on the door at night. We called it a semi-pet. I had no intention of getting involved with a dog in India. The streets here are filled with stray dogs, dusty mutts who bark and howl and get into loud, snarling fights late at night. Then the street dog next door had four pups. She made a little home for herself on the grass and the rubbish on the sidewalk. The puppies tumbled around little roly-poly black and white sausages, exploring our toes when we went to check on them, walking through the bowl of Cerillac we put out for them. One day, disaster struck. A car ran over the puppies. Two died. The survivors made another home under a tree outside our gate. My sister started putting out food. A few days later, tragedy struck again. Another car, another puppy. The mean streets of Kolkata are rough on its dwellers. And with that, the last of the puppy Mohicans and his mother decided they were just going to live in our garden. Let's just keep him for a few days, we said, just to keep him safe. The puppy got a name, Chutney. Chutney can't come in the house. That was the rule. He didn't know it. He tried to sneak in, stole slippers. My mother moaned. The freshly mopped floors will have muddy paw prints. Ja, ja, go, go, she shouted at him while he wagged his overly long tail. He probably thought his name was Ja, ja. Ironically, Chutney has it good, thanks in part to the sacrifice of his siblings. My sister makes him stew for lunch. He slurps it with gusto. He's got his shots. He ran around the garden digging up plants and practicing his fierce bark on the local birds. He even had a little bed sheltered from the rain. But alas, his trauma was not over. At night... The terrors visited. The puppy was living out a soap opera, as eventful as anything my mother watches. In those, there's always the saintly good sister and a murderous evil sister. Here, Chutney's mother is the good sister. The neighbor mongrel dog, Pepsi, is a growling terror. Her little pup wants to play with Chutney, but the wicked mother won't allow it. When she cornered Chutney, she pinned him down and bit him. He whimpered as we tended to his wounds while his mother fretted. Heart is beating. Then in a twist worthy of a soap opera, we found out that wicked Pepsi is actually Chutney's grandmother. A murderous grandma. At night, when the big dogs fight, Chutney joined the chorus, but from the safety of our garden. 
We learned all this from our neighbor across the street in our quiet suburban community. We didn't even know most of our neighbor's names. But now neighbors left leftovers for the dogs. Suddenly, we were all talking to each other, the businessman across the street, the yuppie young couple who walked their boxers every evening, the cook in the bungalow at the end of the street, the mother and daughter across the street. Odd as it seems, a little stray mongrel has turned our street into a neighborhood. And somewhere in the middle of all that, Chutney quietly moved into the house. And now he has his own bed, his naughty pet carrot sticks biscuits. And on hot summer afternoons, he stares meaningfully at the air conditioner. Semi-pet? No more. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts from. And leave out a bowl of water for birds and animals in this hot summer. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Express Podcasts. And let us know what you think. Thanks for listening. This is Sandeep Roy. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.